Hi, Margie. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me okay? Great. I could hear you great. Am I okay for you? Yes, perfect. Okay. perfect. All right. Well, thank you to my listeners for joining in. This is Jill with Aftermath of Suicide. And today I invited Margie Thompson to speak. Um, and we met on Instagram, um, actually, sadly, you know, mutually with both of us losing a son to suicide. And Margie's story is a little different than mine. Um, she found her son. Uh, so, you know, to those out there, I wanted Margie to speak to that and, you know, what that was like and maybe to help those parents or loved ones that are struggling with that, um, you know, what she would suggest. Um, and then I'm going to, you know, ask her some questions as well. Um, Margie, do you have an email that you'd like to give out in case anybody has questions for you or I could sure. reach out to me? Sure. It's, um, they can either reach me via the Facebook um, site for the book, which is Finding Color in the Darkness on Facebook. And then um, there's a Gmail that is Finding Color in the Darkness at gmail.com. Okay. But the fa Facebook is more active, I have to say. Okay. And Margie did write a book called Finding Color in the Darkness, which is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Uh, which she speaks about her journey and kind of a journal through the the story of her son and the battles that he's struggled with. So, um, so let me first ask you, Margie, when you first found him, that what did you feel right then? Um, shock. And, uh, it's, I, when I wrote the book, I wrote about that moment. That was initially the very beginning of the book. And my publisher had said, um, that the writing was raw and, um, gripping, but to write an, an introduction to say who I was and why I wrote the book and then an epilogue. So those two parts sort of, you know, book ended the book, <laughs> um, yeah. figuratively. And, but it, it, to me, it, it is that life changing moment of when you, you know your your world is shattered as you know it and mm -hmm. where do you go from there and, and at that, that point you you don't know where you're going you just know that everything you you knew and, and accepted to be your truth has just you know ended and you have to figure out how to move on from that point so that was an obvious starting point in the book for me and, and did, I you, did you start crying or were you just in shock I was in shock I was in shock I mean I was crying out and right. screaming and pleading but I you know then I just uh fell into a state of sort of catatonic shock going from finding him and following the ambulance to the to the hospital um alone in my car and walking into the emergency room and having them look I was the only one there and which was ironic because it's always filled but um and it was sent to a family room and it was strange because he was the only one that was living at home with me so the only person here in the family was mm -hmm. I knew to be gone but I, they wouldn't confirm that he was dead until I got to the hospital and and spoke to a doctor and I, and I knew it so it was just all those flashbacks thinking back to those you know snippets in time that are that make the you know you're up your life sure. moments you're changing life moments where um 
stick in my memory no matter I mean even though I was in such a catatonic state they will forever be engraved in my mind absolutely you can never forget that moment that that happened whether it's the Mm. text that I got from my son you just never you never you never forget where you were what time it was um and so what I'm going to ask you to do is read a passage in your book where you bound your son and, you know, kind of like you said, what were you, what you were thinking downstairs to sort of check on him, but what you're, you know, so go ahead and, and read that uh, to the listeners. Okay. November 16th, 2016. I'm holding my baby boy in my arms, and although he will always be my baby boy, he is no longer a baby. He just celebrated his 24th birthday one month and one day ago on October 15th. His birth began with me, through me. Giving life to a child is the most wonderful experience a person can have in this lifetime. He's my second child, the youngest of my two sons. I remember holding him as he took his first breath. Now, I'm quite certain, as I wait for the ambulance to arrive, that he has taken his last breath. How is it that I am still able to breathe? When I think back to that day, I don't recall the sound of an ambulance. After the initial panic upon finding him, an eerie calm seemed to possess me. I knew John was dead and I was numb. Margie, stop just a second. We're kind of losing you on the connection. Are you somewhere in a, can you go in an area where you have good connection? Doing this part of the house. (laughs) It sounded muffled. Maybe you were speaking too close. I'm not sure. Can you go back just a few sentences and and repeat that from there? Um, I knew John was dead and I was numb somewhere deep inside of me. I knew this day might one day come. I had feared it off and on since John was 17. I buried that feeling and fought desperately to maintain my positive attitude belief system, convincing myself that somehow this denial could save my son. I wake up suddenly alarmed, thoughts racing through my mind. Where am I? What's wrong? Wait, did something happen? Flashback. John hanged himself. He literally ended his life. He's dead, gone like he's actually dead. Oh my God. And why are the thoughts in my head sounding like something my students would say literally like and like what does it matter my son killed himself help me please god help me please make it not be true please no this can't be why the tears are streaming down my face where are the tissues i seldom ever bought any before john died i didn't need them i rarely and like i mean rarely get colds since november 16th 2016 the night john ended his life i always keep a box of tissues with me even in the car especially in the car I cry every day, every time I'm alone and sometimes in public. I might cry for only a minute or two or at certain very difficult times for hours. It seems to be for shorter periods of time lately as I adjust to my new reality. This reality is foreign and isolating. My baby boy, I want him back. The flashback is vivid. The image of John in the storage closet in his room. His body is curved in a semi-kneeling position with an extension cord wrapped tightly around his precious neck. My eyes rapidly follow the length of the cord that is looped around a rafter. His skin is gray. He's motionless. His hands are limp. He was with me in the car ride home from Boston just an hour before, very much alive, crying, depressed, distraught, but alive. I scream, no, John, stop joking. No, why? Please don't do this. Please take it back. 
I'm too late. He's done it. There is no going back. Why didn't I check on him? Urgent thoughts run through my mind. Call 911. Untie the cord. God, no. The cord is too tight. Why don't we have a phone up here? I run downstairs, grab the phone and the scissors. Wait, I can't cut the cord. It's electrical. Where does it lead? I scream at the operator. My son hanged himself. Please hurry. Help me. She instructs me to check for a pulse and to hold him up. How can I hold the phone, hold him and check for a pulse? There's no pulse. He's gray and he's lifeless. I manage to untie the cord and he falls to the floor. Dead weight, literally. The operator instructs me to perform CPR. In my state of panic, I perform mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. His neck is stiff and the air I blow in blows back in my face. His airways are closed. When I explain this, she corrects me and says to pump his chest, hard and fast. So I do, frantically, but I know it is too late. I don't want to know, but I know. Part of me knew this day would one day come, but what mother wants to accept that her child, her youngest child, her baby, would one day hang himself? A mother's job is to protect her children. We give life to them. We nurture them, both physically and emotionally. That is our most important biological role. How could it go so horribly wrong? Why would the child to whom I gave life choose to end it? The feelings of failure are overwhelming. I would, as would most mothers, give my life to save my child's life. I would sacrifice everything for my children. I remind myself that I had told John just a few weeks before we made the irreversible decision to end his life that as his mom, I would do anything within my power to take away his anguish. I hated to watch him suffer as he did. I told him that I would own his pain so that he could be free of it. No decent mother wants to witness her child in such despair. He heard my words. Little did I know that he would take them like literally his pain is now mine and he is at peace. Wow, that is powerful. That is not only powerful, it's gut-wrenching. <laughs> um, you, you know, it's you, you read this like it, it's just some book of, if you're reading about just a book of someone else, but this was your son. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, oh, of course it chokes me up because... Not, not that I found my son, but of course, I lost one as well. And so what would you say um, to those out there that think about hanging themselves, think about taking their life? Well, if, if I could go, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. We all know that. But mm-hmm. for, for people suffering from depression who are close to taking their lives, you have you have a mental a medical illness rather and cancer and and other illnesses have gone down like heart disease have gone down in the last 30 years. The suicide rate has gone up and we need to understand whether you're, you're the person suffering or you're a loved one of the person suffering, that um, mental illness is a medical illness. It's an illness of the brain. And there's no blood test for it, but there are scans that will show that the neurotransmitters are not properly connected. And there is no shame in asking for help. And until we can understand that we need to support people as best we know how, we might not know how, but we can really just listen to people and let them say what they're feeling and, and develop a plan to be able to talk to, whether it's a trust, a loved one, someone in your family or a professional, but know before you get to that place 
that you you will have certain things that you can say to the person so that there is a plan put in place to to help you through that period because it, it won't stay that way but you can go through depressive episodes but it will and they may come back but you can get through that and we just want people to stay because it does shatter lies and Jill I know you do the same thing that we are you have to find meaning in the aftermath of your child's death mm-hmm. and and you have that choice of you can just stay and and be a walking dead person essentially because your your life feels over and but or you can find some way to honor um, your child but and to honor our sons we've tried to help other people understand that this is a medical illness and deserves the same attention that we give to other illnesses and just as an example when I um, I knew John was in a program that was a partial hospitalization program that lasted three weeks and it was extended to six weeks because he wasn't getting the help he needed. And I had a very busy work schedule as a French teacher teaching multiple levels of language. So I mean, multiple levels of the language. So um, I didn't feel like I could take the time off, but when I knew that they had extended the program and I could see that John was getting darker and, and deeper into that rabbit hole, I went to my supervisor and said that I thought my son was a suicide risk and I was crying in front of her. And I said, I think I need to take time off. And she sat there with her hands folded across her um, waist and looked coldly at me. And she said, I don't know what to tell you, but she had insisted that we go through her, not to the administrators to ask for anything we needed. So I just thought, okay, this doesn't merit time off. And I look back at that and I think, you know, dear God, if, if he'd had cancer, I would have stood up for that and she would have Mm -hmm. understood it. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a big, you know, it's like, sad. Thing. It? it really is sad. And and mm-hmm. so we need to let people know there's nothing to be ashamed of. Number one, if you're the person who suffers from from mental illness and grief mimics uh, men is, or is like mental illness, it has the same mm-hmm. you know, debilitating effects. So we know what that feels like. Um, but I didn't at the time. I've always been an optimist and, and I've had times where I felt sad or, you know, situationally depressed. But I just did, I always thought grow and it was a phase and I was, I was supported, but I didn't quite understand or accept that it was a, a permanent condition that had to be managed. I didn't realize that. I thought he could go out of it. And I did see that toward the end, but by that time he was really far gone. And I, I wish I could go back as we all do and have been more proactive. And that night, I certainly should have, you know, there's more that I could have done. I, when we got home that night, I called up to him three times and no answer. And I thought, just let him sleep it off. He'd been opening up and changing behavior is another sign of when somebody's been shut down and they suddenly start becoming talkative. So, you know, there's so many regrets that I've had to live with, but I do know that it's a medical illness now. And I, I have to forgive myself for, for doing the best that I knew how to do at the time. But I would right. just, I will live the rest of my days educating others of really right. listen to you, your children and to others when they are suffering. Right. I know many people want to kind of shush that off and, you know, like even just depression. Oh, you know, go outside, take a walk or take a yoga class yeah. or like that's just going to cure you, you know, yeah. and a disease is manageable just yeah. like alcoholism. You know, if, if you do something for it, if you're proactive. It is manageable. I mean, I've met Mm -hmm. tons of people with different areas and ranges of a mental disease. And and like I always state, you know, it's a disease just like cancer, yet it doesn't get the respect and the attention that it really does deserve because it's invisible. 
Right. Right. And yeah. So let me take a break real quick. I just want to thank a couple of my sponsors and then I have a couple more questions for you. Um, I want to thank alternewmedia.com. They uh, were a marketing company that I used and they are fantastic. Um, They can do just about anything. So please reach out to them as well as clearpaththinking.com. Joe is a life coach and I have to tell you right now with COVID and people's lives upside down, losing their business, their jobs, their careers, a lot of people can use help in a new direction. And where do I start? You know, change isn't comfortable. So reach out to Joe at Clear Path Thinking. Um, so back to Margie. Um, so your son suffered with bipolar, correct? Yes. Yes. And post-traumatic stress. Okay. And if you could give, what would you say to a loved one parent that was in your place that kind of recognized that, but sort of was in denial and didn't, what would you say now recommending for them to do for that loved one? Um, to, to be proactive. So they haven't, you're saying somebody who has not lost a child to suicide, but has a, someone at risk or, or someone right. they love it. Exactly. Just to, to really listen and um, have the conversations. And I think, we need to start, there's a, a campaign afoot to have conversations with, with children when they're younger about sadness, calling it sadness at the time, um, and asking them about their emotions. But we talk to our children about sex and drugs and alcohol. We need to talk to them about their mental health as well, because it's very much a part of all of your health. Your, your you know, um, medical mm-hmm. health is very much a part of it. and Especially the, now with COVID and a lot of absolutely. kids. Yeah teenagers at home right yes. and so that that conversation needs to be normalized and to share your own experiences and how you got through it is great but you can't um there's no one size fits all for depression and that's mm-hmm. a key thing and it's a, it's much um it, for cancer you can have textbook ca- uh, cases of certain types of cancer you can't for depression because there are so many other comorbid and possibilities and there's so many different levels of it so there's no what even if you had to have had depression have been able to to overcome it you can't expect that somebody that you're talking to will have the same experience and i've encountered these people along my journey after losing john who have said oh well i was able to overcome my depression and i was hospitalized and was able to overcome it that's great for you and you might have overcome it for now but you don't know what the future might yes. hold and right. you can't put your experience on somebody else's and um, it's um, dismissive to the person who's who is suffering. So you really need to keep an open mind and ask them questions and really listen to what they have to say and look for the warning signs. And the warning signs would be, um, are they smoking too much, drinking too much, um, starting to abuse drugs? Are they losing their appetite? Are they not able to sleep? Are they, are they, do they have um, disrupted split speech? Do they sleep too much? Do they eat too much? I mean, it could be any number of, of possibilities, but, and people who seem to always sometimes be the happy person, sometimes mm-hmm. they're the person that's the most depressed because they're trying to hide their pain. That was so, my son. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That yep. was my son to most who knew him, but I would see mm-hmm. his pain and he would yeah. come home. Um, mm-hmm. So we just it, making that conversation normal, no matter what they might present, like, because they, as we say, it's the invisible illness, but making it a normal conversation 
when you say to somebody, how are you doing? I'm doing great. No, really. I mean, I'm, I know I'm struggling because this is going on and what, how does that affect you? So you can find ways to sort of open up a bigger conversation, just then how are you doing? <laughs> and thinking that right. that's, that answer is fine. Because many people could just say, oh, I'm fine. And that, yeah, most do. that asks is so busy that they just go, okay, that's good. And they move on. When they really yeah. weren't, you know how you can say, how are you? But you're not really waiting for the answer. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just a, everybody's, you know, it's, it's a, a habit to say it's that. It's a greeting. Yeah. Or to ask. Yes. And that's why I, I, you're right. I mean, you need to really, especially with someone that you know, you see something's not right. You mm-hmm. know, and, and they tell you I'm fine. Um, right. You know, most people that suffer like that, feel a burden to others they don't want to put that on you you know i'm better off dead people would be better off without me Uh, they think that way a lot and you know so yeah you know if uh, of course it's easy for us to say you know here's what i would have done but Mm -hmm. we didn't right we didn't push enough or do enough when we saw those signs and now of course I say the same thing. Had I, could I go back? I would have done a little bit more approached Mike differently. Um, Mm -hmm. But suicide guys out there listening is never the answer. Never. I can't say that enough. You destroy the lives of people around you. And one suicide affects about 115 people in their mm-hmm. circle. So it's a ripple effect. And yeah. I, you know, you, I can't, I can't stress that enough out there. So we're not saying if you feel like this and you know, I, I want to take away your pain. So go ahead and end your life. No, there no. are, you know, the, the national suicide prevention lifeline, you've got the everything's at your fingertip and it is on my site at my Instagram aftermath of suicide. It's also on my website, aftermathofsuicide.com. But, you know, both Margie and I, having now been in this other side of the fence, um, sure, we can all look back and think, God, you know, now, and and we see it more. We see more. Don't you, Margie? Yeah. I can can pick out people that aren't well, and I can see... They might pretend, but they're not pretending to me. But here's a funny, not a funny fact, but an interesting fact. Um, As a teacher, having studied this for my master's in education, we we knew to look for people who might suffer from different types of depression. And I could easily identify it in any student and was uh, very patient with these students and would let them complete their work at handed in late or excuse them from class if they had too much anxiety and wouldn't call on them, that kind of thing, and would check in their parents and counselors. But in my own son, it, yeah. it should have been so obvious to me. And I just was in, in denial because it was too painful a concept. So that's the other thing I would say to parents out there, like, right. do not be the ostrich with your head in the sand, be proactive. And you can't force people into therapy and you can't force them to, to open up, but you can just try and gently share and try and create opportunities for them to speak up. And there are alternative treatments like just a um, EMDR therapy to help um, 
trigger to change those patterns of, of thought behaviors and explain um, to people what's EMDR. So EMDR, I did this after, um, you know, having encountered, it was for post-traumatic stress after having seen John and I had a great therapist who was well-trained and you have to find a therapist who is well sensory sort of or um, reorientation, if you will. And you had that have vibrating pulsing down that have these vibrating and to another um, image that will take you from the difficult image, peaceful image to change the association. But there are all types of patients of, of, of you know, suicide. Those of us who have lost someone that we love to suicide and they help, whether it's, it's the EMDR therapy or cognitive behavioral therapies or magnetic pulse uh, therapy and light therapies. There's even a nasal spray now. So there are other alternatives that are emerging, but you have to be pre proactive with your, um, with your doctors as well to make sure that you can have access to these other treatments that are out there. Um, besides just like the program John was in would say, it gets better. They had, you know, little bumper stickers for that. And you wouldn't tell somebody with terminal cancer that it gets better. So you have right. to... Like no, say that true. it can it can be worse, and but it it you know you can you can manage this if you work with us. So it's get it gets better. It's too of a uh, too much of a you know cliche and cliches right. do not work. Right, and that's why I said it is manageable, but it's work. You have to put in the time to be proactive to help yourself. Um, exactly. You know, suicide is the easy way out. That's. It's not, no, it's not. Um, like I said, the devastation and the tsunami that you leave behind to mm -hmm. family and friends, um, you have no idea. And, yeah. you know, I, I want to leave by stating to those out there that do suffer with mania, you know, schizophrenic, depression, PTSD, uh, psychosis, whatever. Um, I'm going to leave you with Kevin Hines' name, and I use him and talk about him so much because not only have I met him, he did a podcast with me, um, interviewing me on my story, because Kevin was one of the very few that survived jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. And wow, I don't know if any of you have been over that bridge. It is ominous and huge. And he suffers still to this day with all of those, but it's manageable now. He knew he needed help. He was lucky to be, to survive, to be alive after falling. That was a 75 mile an hour in four seconds, 24 stories. He broke his spine. I mean, it, it, it was an unbelievable story. And so he is a living testament that, you can get better. He's married, his wife, he praises her like I cannot tell you. And, you know, he's just a great guy. Reach out to him if you need to. You can go to his YouTube channels. He records nonstop. He travels the world. But my point about this is he suffers still with all of that. Even after 15 psych ward stays after mm -hmm. the fall, which was 20 years ago. He's alive now. And like he states, 
be here tomorrow. Suicide is never the answer. So I say that to those that are listening. And again, should you have any questions for Margie, you know, reach out on her Facebook page if you are on Facebook to um, uh, Finding Color in the Darkness, as well as she is on Instagram. And then you said it's darkness um, at gmail.com but i also kevin hines story is remarkable and i just wanted to add something too for anybody who is contemplating suicide that many people who um are uh, well many of us are animal lovers but i know john was and and many i hear about who've uh, taken their lives were great animal lovers john's dog this is almost five years later still suffers um after having lost her her dad and she Every time the, the anniversary of his death and when the fall changes, she starts to get very despondent and will have nightmares and, and tremble in the night and cry. So yeah. remember, just the humans that you're leaving behind, but your your for children and loved ones. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you take your life, you not only leave behind your family wondering why you didn't come home, but your pet wondering mm-hmm. why you didn't come home. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you, Margie. That was excellent. I'm glad you were, uh, you shared that with us. And I'm, you know, I think that it will help a lot of other parents and and loved ones that have lost somebody or found somebody that way, because that's traumatizing. Um, Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine that. So uh, I thank you so much. And I know that we will be in touch. Yes, and, thank you, Jill, for for having me on this podcast, and uh, thank you for the for the great work you do, and um, and for mentioning Kevin Hines' stories. He is a remarkable um, yeah. man. What a what he a story! Really is an inspiration. You are mm-hmm. so welcome, and enjoy your day. Right, it's another day above ground. Another day above ground. There you go. <laughs> That's right. I always say it beats the alternative. That's right. Carpe diem. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah. All right. All right. You take care. You. I'll talk to you. You too, soon. Jill. Thank okay. you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, good morning from Jill D'Arpino with AftermathofSuicide.com. It is Saturday morning, the 22nd of May. And I'm here in yucky New Jersey with the weather going to be hot and humid, which is my least favorite. So I cannot wait to get back to having a place in Las Vegas, hopefully, hopefully by the end of the year. Um, I'm going to talk about today, (laughs) as I sit here and, you know, just 
me, I'm the kind that, as I've told you, if you've listened to to me before, I read people well, I watch things. Um, So here we are with the news of Bill Gates, right? Having a girlfriend. And prior to that coming out, Melinda um, filed for divorce, which, as I started to read, she had filed for divorce, not for the girlfriend, but because he was associated with Epstein, the pedophile perverter that was, you know, basically raping underage children, the one who had supposedly died by suicide, which I completely don't believe. Um, And when I talk about these guys, look, a guy can have an affair, he could do whatever he wants to do, but you have no right to rape underage children or rape any age. Those girls were underage. They had his photo with Bill um, Epstein, and not just in a photo. There's a lot of people that are taking pictures in photos, but when you have somebody at their house, he was in his home in New York, and there's others that were on his private island in the Caribbean. And on the airplane roster was Bill Clinton 26 times on that flight back and forth. Now you tell me what he was doing there 26 times. And why do you need to go there when you could meet him anywhere, right? You wouldn't need to go there. But we all know about Bill Clinton anyway. Um, You can be in denial of it. And look, and I'm not political, so I don't care, you know, who it is. It wouldn't surprise me maybe if Trump did that shit. But it's not... I'm not talking about political. Of course, Prince Andrew um, was also seen saying goodbye to a girl with his head sticking out of the door at his New York um, house, Epstein's house. And the queen stripped him, if you guys know this, of his title and stripped him of any participation of doing anything in the monarchy as well as canceled his 60th birthday party, which is huge in the UK. So this is all major stuff coming down. But back to Bill Gates, when I think about this guy who's a philanthropist, you know, and he does a lot and he does a lot of good things and they give and, you know, of of course they give to things that give back, um, like tax deductions. You know, and if you listen to one of my podcasts, it talks about how Jeff Bezos and the rich could actually help this country. And there should, wouldn't even be one poor person if you listen to my um, podcast. It's also on my YouTube channel, which is Aftermath of Suicide. If you ever have a topic in the mental health realm that you would like to be on my show and talk about that you could offer... Um, I'd love to have you on. You can reach out to me at Jill at aftermathofsuicide.com. Uh, so, you know, back to Bill Gates. So Melinda gets whiff of this Epstein issue, 
which wasn't just yesterday, okay? This has been going on between the two of them that she found out. And like I said, what the hell was he, Bill Gates, doing with that guy? That guy was a creep and got off big time in Florida in 2008 on that charge. And that's because money talks, guys. People can buy people at a price. Everybody has a price. Most people, anyway. I could never, in my conscience, do something like that, letting some creep guy off, knowing that he is raping underage children by offering them fake hope of being a model, sending them to school, paying for everything, living in this beautiful home on the Virgin Islands. You know, come on. That to me is emotional, physical, and mental abuse. And that leads to these girls. And if you've read up on some of these that are, you know, God, they're in their 20s now. Um, what they've, what he's done to them. So we're back to the mental illness. And that's why everything that I talk about on my podcast all have something to do with mental illness. Um, the, I, I can't even believe, like I said, what goes on with these wealthy people that think that they can do these things and it's okay because they have an entitlement attitude. Um, most wealthy people do. And as you can see, with all their wealth, the Gates, are they happy? Most of them are not happy. And that's why they end up having to do things that is outside the norm because they're so bored with their life. I mean, what are these people doing with Jeffrey Epstein? Now, Clinton, I get it. That guy is sick, okay? And we all knew about him. I don't care how much everybody defends him or, you know, his wife, which is, I don't even want to get started on her. But, you know, she had condoned his behavior as well as put down the women that he raped. You know, trailer trash and all that stuff. So, you know, I, I, I sit and I listen to this stuff and it's it's actually sad to see the way money has, I think, done more bad than good. Um, because the bad is the worst of the bad, where you're sex trafficking young girls and basically forcing them to do something with a hope that they're going to, you know, get something. And they're all excited. They're 14, 15 years old, come from broken homes. A lot of them, no parents around. The parents are drug addicts. He knows what he's preying on. And so did uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, his sidekick. So, and, and imagine even a woman doing that to uh, women, little girls. So I just think about when I hear this stuff come out in the news, and it does not surprise me. At my age, nothing surprises me 
about what people are capable of doing. Um, when I was younger, I used to believe, you know, and I, for the most part, do believe in, in the good of everyone, unless you give me a reason not to. But this kind of crap that goes on, these guys, um, sadly, Jeffrey Epstein wasn't able to do his time for with these women and be in prison for the rest of his life, taking a beating and much more than that. Uh, he took the cowardly way out per the news, but really he was silenced, you know, because he had too much on too many people uh, that he could say to um, get immunity. So anyway, I started thinking about that when I read that about Bill Gates, and I thought, wow, you know? <laughs> I mean, look, did it surprise me? No, nothing does at, at this point in my life. Um, but that woman, his wife, God bless her, actually, but I'm glad she did the right thing to leave his ass. And they're trying to tell you that she okays him to go have an affair with a girlfriend. How many women do you know okay that? I mean, how many women do you know? It's not like she's in it for the money. <laughs> Half of everything they have is hers. So she has the money. Who would be okay with that? And she doesn't strike me as someone that would be okay with that. So anyway, I'm ranting about this piece of news, but, you know, it just ties into the mental illness, the mental abuse of young girls, and what does that become for them as they age, right? Here we go into physical abuse by men, um, drug addicts, you know, this, and, and this is just the tip of the iceberg, guys. I mean, we know there's sex trafficking all over the world. It's happening right now with kids coming across the border. You hear it. Three and five-year-old were caught being dumped over the wall on the side of the border, and you watched it on, the, on TV, and these security guys are picking these little kids up. They have no one, no parent, nothing. God knows what those people, guys, did to them on that journey here. It breaks my heart. And everything that's going on right now, all of this um, is going to lead even more to a bigger crisis of mental illness and suicide, which we already know is up with COVID on top of all of that, all of that the people coming into the border, over the border, and how they're being treated on their way here. Um, let me stop a second and reach out to a couple of my sponsors, alternewmedia.com, great marketing company, if you're looking for one. Fantastic. I've used them. And also Clear Path Thinking. Uh, Joe is a life coach and can really help you turn your life around when you don't know where to go, where to start. You've lost your job. You have to change a whole career. You have to move away from what you know. It's major stuff. Lo major losses are deaths 
death of a marriage, losing your job and your home. Those are all major top like four that can create severe depression and suicidal uh, ideation. So please reach out to Joe at Clear Path Thinking. He really can help you out there. Um, So anyway, I just had to give a little rant about this story. Uh, And as we know, there is so much more to that. But I really watch it. I follow it because, as you know, I am really into what makes people tick. And I'm able to read people really well, body language, facial expressions. Um, And I do read people's natal charts. And that has helped me throughout the years to understand people um, very well and very quickly. And um, so that's my thing. And I love that. I love to people watch. That also tells me a lot, you know, just watching people. Um, So again, if you have, you know, anything you'd like to um, offer on this podcast of mine, I would be happy to have you on as a guest, jill at aftermathofsuicide.com. And even to help our veterans out, please, for only $17.95, which includes free shipping in the U.S., all of my proceeds goes to Wounded Warrior Project and Tunnel to Towers. Our veterans need our help, guys. They have done so much for us here at on this con- at this in this country and what they're losing literally their families their limbs and they come home many times to no one and all the proceeds from my book go to the foundations so please you can purchase it on my website aftermathofsuicide.com um amazon takes 45% of my money yep And that's how this guy is getting as wealthy as he is besides putting other people out of business too. So if you could purchase it on my website, that would be great because the foundations would get more money. Um, Thanks for listening. Like I said, reach out if you can um, offer something of help or benefit to my listeners. And please let your friends and family know about Anchor, and to follow me, Jill D'Arpino. I'm also on Spotify, Google, um, Apple, all of those. Um, please be kind to yourself. It's so key to do that. And be kind to other people. Life is hard right now. Take care. <laughs>